Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Well, I'm delighted to be joined today by my friend, Brandon Weikert. Uh, as you may remember, he's been on a couple of shows. He's a geopolitical analyst and, and author of the very successful book, Winning Space. And he also publishes the uh, Weikert Report, which I highly recommend. And a couple of weeks ago, I asked Brandon to, would he come back on? I want to talk about Putin and nuclear Armageddon and uh, all that sort of cheery stuff. And I got this email from him and he said, well, perhaps we could do the recording later this week or next weekend because I've got a category three hurricane bearing down on my home presently. Um, we, it might end up in Tampa, but we might be <laughs> right in the epicenter. Well, um, let's fast forward to today. The hurricane did land and it landed I think right on top of Brandon. So Brandon, tell us you're 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 we're, we're doing that. You're in Florida. Yeah. I'm up in Virginia. Uh, yeah. What's 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 been happening? I mean, it must have been uh, horrific. Uh, yeah. So you know, I I grew up here. We moved back here from uh, from from Virginia a couple years ago. But uh, I've been through half a dozen, uh, probably actually ten or eleven of these things. These hurricanes. This was by far. Uh, the worst experience. Um, basically, it was a category three when I emailed you. It was out in the Gulf. Everybody was saying it's going to hit Tampa. And 9.45 p.m. before the hurricane hits, the night before, I'm watching local news and they're saying it's going to strengthen to a category four, but it looks like it's still going to miss Southwest Florida. It's going to hit Tampa. So we'll just get the, the outer bands. We'll be fine. And I wake up at 7 or 8 a.m. the next morning and my house is shaking. And, you know, it's like it's like something from uh, a disaster film. And this hurricane it not only strengthened to a category four, almost a category five, but basically, and, and I only found this out, we basically lost power immediately. We had no internet, no nothing. So I could receive texts and phone calls, but I couldn't make any and I couldn't send anything out. So Gordon Chang, our friend, sure. figured he figured out that my, my hometown is right where this hurricane was hitting. And so he texts me and he's like, Brandon, my Lydia, his wife, he's like, Brandon, Lydia and I are watching the news and your home is in the eye of the hurricane. And I'm looking out our, I left one window uncovered so I could see what was going on above our door. And I, and I, I, I texted him, but it didn't go through. I said, yeah, I can see that now. And as, as my neighbor's roof is flying down the, the road and basically, <laughs> yeah. So, and then basically I shouldn't it has, laugh, but you know, no, no, but it was pretty, even I was laughing at the time because it was sort of that dark humor, but, but, because, but, the, but the, but the key point here is you stayed in the house through this. Yeah. You, Most of us did down here. Cause we were told it was going to hit Tampa. Yeah. And what town and are you in? You're, you're in, the I'm in Cape Coral. I'm Cape in Cape Coral. Coral. So we're about half an hour North of Naples and about yeah. 15, 20 minutes South of Sarasota. So it's a sleepy town. It's obliterated. I mean, I grew up here. It it is it is decimated. Um, it, it, this and I I don't, I don't post the pictures because it's other people's misery. So I'm trying not to be one of those people. I did take video and pictures, but I haven't posted really any because it's just I don't think appropriate. But 
um the 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 scenes are post-apocalyptic we we have had looters we have a lot of looting problem and i live in a pretty nice area um in fact we've got a lot of cops that live here they've posted signs you loot we shoot yeah I've seen um, those. yeah i've got one on my neighborhood sign right out front um our street sign um because it's a gated community where we live um yeah so when from the time it first hit until it began to abate how long was that 12 hours 24 it felt like an eternity um i was here it was probably 18 hours i want to say okay then it abated the water rushed out came in and then at what point did people start coming back in to assess damage and start well that's the thing they couldn't get back in here all the roads were blocked uh, Pine Island is the next, I mean, literally it's two miles away. My wife and I spend almost every weekend on Pine Island. It's gone. It is destroyed. There is a, it is like the green zone of Baghdad in 2003. I've got fleets of Chinook helicopters flying over me every 15 minutes mm. doing relief operations. Um, the infrastructure is gutted here. Um, we, as I said, this is almost 12 days after the hurricane today, an hour ago, we just got safe drinking water, power, internet, our, our air conditioning units back. Um, so we were sleeping in really conditions that um, were horrendous, no sewage, no running water. We were having to rely on. In fact, it was so bad. They were bringing in police from North Florida to help our police force. And furthermore, it got so bad that we had basically military curfew. We were under almost martial law here. We had a curfew 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. There were no street lights, pitch black. We live in a swamp, not good, not good to be out at night. And we had National Guardsmen at every intersection, heavily armed, ready to roll if somebody started something. So this was this was this was really a snapshot i think of what may happen if god forbid this issue with russia and ukraine goes nuclear or you know emp electromagnetic pulse weapons or involves cyber attack or a space attack or some combination thereof because the first thing that i learned is that our infrastructure i lived it is going to collapse no one will save us uh, our local utilities company uh, lcec um, was woefully underprepared. Our city leadership were woefully underprepared for this this catastrophe. And I can get into that why, because I think also it applies to what other cities are going to have to do. Well, yeah, I want to ask about that. You say forward. woefully underprepared. Are they recovered? Are they in action? I mean, what 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 do you mean by woefully underprepared? So we are a co-op here, uh, an electric co-op, <clears throat> as opposed to FPL, which is a standard energy company, Florida Power and Light. Um, FPL is large. They basically manage most of the state's energy grid. Um, but for whatever reason, my locality here decided 40 years ago when it was a really small town, we have now almost 200,000 people and growing living here. Mm -hmm. Um, but when it was a very small town in the seventies, they decided to do a co-op and not have to deal with FPL directly. The co-op at basically buys energy. My understanding is that buys energy from FPL and then we pay LCEC to distribute that energy to our homes in, in the Cape. Um, the problem is it's like a mom and pop operation. So they're already small. There are weird bylaws in the co-op manual that prevents a co-op from, in the state of Florida at least, from receiving any aid from non-co-ops. There's very few co-ops in the state. 
Uh, so they had to delay getting help. They didn't have enough personnel already. That for whatever reason, we had uh, we had a very small amount of people working for LCEC for the last several years. They've had a worker shortage, so that played into it. Then I found out recently, and this is this is all sort of rumor, but they're coming from people that I know are in the know locally. That basically LCEC failed to identify before the storm a proper staging area where they could corral all their people well, but, and resources. But I want to generalize from this because yeah. we're, we're, we're going to- We can extrapolate, yes. You and I are both worried about saber rattling and you know Joe Biden right. making cocktail chatter about nuclear Armageddon. As he's on the beach. <laughs> as he's on the beach, yeah. And so generally though, through as you look at other people responding or, or how they've, they've what, what's happened after the hurricane hit, Yeah. What's the general experience in Florida? Well, locally, um, we all came together for the most part, the community here. Um, there's very little funny business. There's some, uh, like my HVAC guy tried to bilk me out of $3,000 and I caught him and he tried to say my AC unit compressor was fried. That was not the case. It was a burnt wire. So I had another guy come out here and for free fixed my AC unit. Uh, so things like that are happening. Like I said, there's limited looting going on, but by and large, our community has come together. Um, we are all helping each other out. We all came together as a, as a community because we had nothing. We had nothing for 11 days. And by the way, 5% of the city, which is one of the most populated areas, by the way, remains without power indefinitely. The infrastructure damage was so significant. And so, um, and my parents live in that side of the, the Cape. So, you know, who knows when they're going to get power back. Um, but by and large, we came together because we had nothing left. And many of my neighbors lost everything. And I mean, they're homeless. So we in our home really got away relatively scot-free. Um, but I know people who are destitute from this. Um, people had to make mortgage payments on homes that were swept out to sea. You still have to pay your mortgage on that. Um, you're paying for the land at that point. They, The rumor, and this has been unconfirmed, but the rumor is that they were finding hundreds and hundreds of dead bodies in Sanibel Island, which is just across the bridge from us. The, Pine reported, Island. the reported number is much lower. Yeah. Because my understanding, now my wife works with the hospital system here. She's heard rumors. We haven't been able to confirm it. Yeah. But the coroner's office, supposedly the Chinooks are flying out lots of bodies. I don't know if that's true. But the fact of the matter is, is that we came together. We're still together. Um, but the basic stuff of modern life was not available to us. And for some people, it remains that way. And if in the case of Pine Island and Sanibel and Fort Myers Beach, it's going to be years years yeah. before they get it gets get back so my point with all this is that we see the saber rattling going on with ukraine and russia we see that our president is almost glib about the prospect of catastrophe and in some cases it sounds like he might be inviting it for whatever reason um but basically he's 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 mr corn pop he's all right he yeah. always has been i mean he's been this way yeah. forever i mean he's now blustering I mean, and, it, and we, we've been in a state yeah. of nuclear uh, denial. Uh, we we base uh, Americans have not really paid attention to this no. threat ever. Not until not since the '60s. No. Not since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, somebody said this is like the Cuban Missile Crisis, and in some ways it is. In other ways, this is more like the 1983 Abel Archer incident, <clears throat> in which Reagan 
rightly did the largest NATO military exercise right on the border of the Soviet Union, Yuri Andropov, who was a mentor to Vladimir Putin, who was uh, the fiercest red communist leader since Stalin. Um, luckily, he was old and died quickly. Um, but Andropov was in charge during that mission. And, and Andropov was convinced that Ronald Reagan was a Christian crusader who wanted to initiate nuclear war to bring about the return of Christ. And so when the Able Archer exercises began, they were the largest NATO exercise in its history at that point. Uh, Andropov did not believe that it was an exercise. And he put his nuclear forces on such a high alert that one silo almost launched because it received a, uh, an incorrect order. And if it wasn't for a silo commander saying, I don't think this order is, is legitimate, we would have had a nuclear missile launched. That's how close we were. And so that was Andropov in charge. And, and it happened almost again, I believe, under Gorbachev. And Gorbachev was knew better than to push the limits on that. But Andropov was an ideologue, a rabid one. And, and Putin loves Andropov. Putin worships Andropov. So when we see what's going on in Ukraine today and we hear the saber rattling and we look at the technology that Russia has at its disposal, not just nuclear weapons, but electromagnetic pulse weapons. I know you used to have Dr. Pry on frequently. Yeah, Dr. And that Peter was Peter Pry. Yeah. And, um, you know, him. yeah, he was a, a pioneer um, at the EMP commission. But but Russia has that technology since 1962 and they perfected it. They have cyber attack capabilities. They have the ability to attack our satellites. You and I've talked about that let, before. Let, let me just take a quick pause here. I, this yeah. is the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Brandon Weikert and uh, publisher of the uh, Weikert Report and lots of terrific books on space and nuclear strategy and uh, all the things we really need to be concerned about now. And uh, we're segueing. We've been talking about the aftermath of Hurricane Ian in Florida and the very, very, very difficult job responders and 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 community people are going to have rebuilding. And we're 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 segueing into well, okay, if this happened with just a hurricane, what might something uh, nuclear mean for mm -hmm. the United States? Or right. and and you know what's our survivability? And we're talking about our a relative lack of. Uh, any kind of preparation for this, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, you listen to what Biden said, he said at this cocktail party, I guess at the fundraiser, he said, what we're trying to figure out, he's telling everybody, what we're trying to figure out is what's Putin's off ramp? Wh wh where does he get off? Uh, what, where does he find a way to get out? Where does he find himself in a position that uh, he does not only lose face, but loses significant power within Russia? And we've got this is this this thing seems to have a political divide and that, uh, you know, the Biden administration administration has been bent on regime change in Russia yeah. from day one. And it's really has a lot to do with Trump. Yeah. And there are a whole lot of people that say, gee, if you think we ought to try to negotiate something um, between re U Ukraine and Russia to get people to stand down we're being Trumpers. Right. Right. <laughs> and we're trying to, right. we're trying to help Putin. We're not trying to help Putin. We're trying to help ourselves. That's right. That's right. So, yes. So uh, take, 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 and I've got a lot of other, I mean, yeah, the elites have gone all in on this. The journalists, they have. Uh, <laughs> they have. I mean, so here's the thing. I, I fundamentally believe it is in our interest to make sure that Russia doesn't capture all of Ukraine. I don't believe it is in our interest to, push Russia so hard and so far that Putin believes he's got nothing but right. nukes to escalate to. I think we've reached a good point in the conflict where 
as the world's supposedly sole remaining superpower and really Ukraine's chief benefactor, the White House, the United States leadership should say, Zelensky, you've done a very admirable job defending your country. You were aggrieved. You were it was wrong what the Russians did to you. It was not right. It was not legitimate what they did. You have defended your country. You have solidified your country's right to survive and be an independent state. And we will promote and protect that as best we can. But now is the time because you have a position of strength now in this fight. Finally, you got to negotiate because if you don't, those off ramps are being closed. Well, Putin and, does not see an off ramp. Yeah, that's seems, the scary thing. Well, unless we give him one, I don't think he will see which one. is what and I think we should be piling do. on. Right. You know, you have we to also ask yourself gave, why. In, in like, now, my wife is jumping in here. This is the. Here, come around here to the microphone. <laughs> I think that's the clearest statement, what you just said about Ukraine that I've heard anyone say, and you can't. Thank you. It's brilliant. Thank you. Sarah. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Just, I, just, just, right. stay, just, just stay out of my spotlight. <laughs> you see, what, what, way in. <laughs> what, what is it? Uh, uh, George, George Carlin said, "I'm ahead of my time." Unfortunately, it's only by about a half an hour, but I'm ahead of my time. Um, but, um, but she, you know, and and I, I really do believe that that there is a middle ground here on the issue of Ukraine, and um, that that's it. And unfortunately, our side of the aisle has taken up this line where, you know, it's like, who cares about Ukraine? Um, and then the other side, like Biden, is basically saying, let the nuclear bombs drop. You know, it's like their uh, Colonel Major uh, Major Kong riding the bomb on the way down in Dr. Strangelove. Um, that's Biden right Let's now. Slim which is, Pickens. That's right. And um, I just uh, my my thought on this is we should go until we hit the, the the red line of nuclear war and we're there now. And so now it behooves a great power like the United States to say it's time for everyone to go to that big, beautiful table, sit down and figure out how we're going to get out of this situation, because Ukraine is worth defending as we have done. But it is not going to nuclear worth going to nuclear war over. Um, really, very few things are. Um, and after what I just went through with our loss of infrastructure from a storm, um, most pri most American towns, I suspect, particularly small and medium sized ones, have an infrastructure that looks very similar to what I have here. And the Russians have the capability, if they so choose, to use EMP, to, to use nukes, to use cyber to use space-based attacks to deprive us of the modern accoutrements that make our society the most advanced and sophisticated there is today. And we can't survive. We cannot survive without those basic without that basic infrastructure that is woefully vulnerable. And so what I think we should be doing, if Biden is so gung-ho and the Democrats are so gung-ho about taking on Russia, why aren't they calling for space-based missile defenses? Why aren't they picking up that clarion call from Reagan in 1983 when he said the only way we're going to ever be protected from Russian nuclear threats is, is to build an advanced defense system? We have that capability now. Myself, Brian Kennedy over at the Claremont Institute as well, have all been saying if you look at the technological capabilities we have today, in 18 months with a full-born government effort, we could get basic space-based defenses in orbit that will 
do a good job. We could build off from there, do a good job of protecting us and mitigating the the, the Russian or Chinese well, but, nuclear but, threat. But, but, but we but haven't Brandon, done it. But Brandon, the problem I have with everybody giving all the strategic advice and not, not you particularly at all, but uh, it seems to me we're working with the weakest national security team we've ever had in this country's history. And well, yeah, I just I just don't you know, you 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like Lloyd Austin and, and Mark Milley and Tony Blinken and Jake Sullivan and uh, what's her now? Valerie. Oh, I'm sorry. Victoria Newland. Victoria. Newland. Uh, you know, she's been arguing for regime change from, yeah. from day one. Uh, yeah. They don't seem to think in the way you're you're uh, thinking. No, they think I, they, they would say if I said this, that I'm a crank or I'm a I'm a Russian plant. I'm the farthest thing from a Russian plant. The, the Russians well, murdered. They're calling, they're calling us Trumpist because right. we think we ought to be thinking about a way to do. Well, thinking strategically. That's what we're doing. Yeah, it's 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 not strategic to risk nuclear war. Um, what I would say is, let me give you an example. Jake Sullivan, boy wonder. Jake Sullivan is considered, you know, the left. The way they they build him out is that he is this the smartest man since um, McGeorge Bundy, Kennedy's uh, national security advisor. That he is just he, he about, is amazing. McGeorge Bundy was the one who almost got got us killed in the Cuban Missile oh, Crisis. I, oh, I know, and he screwed up. <laughs> A Bay of Pigs as well. Right. Um, but um, but that's how the media bills him, this Jake Sullivan, who has Yale and he's Ivy League and all that. Um, but the, st the story, I might have shared this with you the last time we spoke, but over the summer at the Aspen uh, Ideas Festival, Sullivan was talking on a panel and he made um, an unsolicited comment. He was trying to be funny, but he was being serious. And he said, you know, before I became national security advisor, I didn't even know what a supply chain was. And I, I heard that and I'm like, you went to Yale? This is, you know, frankly, the Ivy Leagues aren't sending us their best if that's the case, because what a thing to say as the national security advisor after we just went through COVID, after, I mean, what a thing to say. And it shows that this guy and everybody around Biden are clueless about practical makeup of America, about what a supply chain is, about the dangers of what when a decision is made at the political level and they they don't understand how it's going to be applied and, and the ramifications of that on ordinary life, this is a very dangerous we we are being led by toddlers waving guns around. Yeah, that, that's I hadn't heard that. That's stunning because everybody who's studied war and through history knows that supply chain that's right. Nine times out of 10 is the uh, decisive factor. Well, just remember that old, I think it was the UPS commercial from the mid 2000s. That's logistics. You know, they would always have that, that, you know, I mean, this is basic stuff, Yeah. Um. you know, and, and he doesn't know that. And that's who is the gatekeeper for all national security policy decisions in the White House is Jake Sullivan. And that's who's leading us. And I, you know, it's, it's very scary. And I, I keep harping on, what I just went through because it really made it personal for me when we, you know, I got power back and I start reading today, all that's gone on and in Ukraine. And I'm like, you know, I've got very, very reputable people at heritage foundation at the Hudson Institute, who I love and respect, who are saying that Putin is just bluffing. And I'm going, I don't think this is a bluff because here's why. The Russian economy managed to stave off collapse for the last six to eight months, but now the sanctions are starting to have a bite. 
now the, the the Russian economy is somewhat slowing down, and it looks like the trend lines indicate that it's going to keep slowing down. Vladimir Putin has to deliver economic prosperity to his people to stay in power. The war is risking that. And so what's going to happen, I suspect, if current trends persist, that in six to eight months, Vladimir Putin's going to be in a position where he's losing the war conventionally. There are no off-ramps to the war. He's His economy's collapsing, even with China and India buying his oil. It's not enough. And then at the same time, people are getting discontented in Russia. And that's going to create a situation of regime change in Russia, which is what Biden wants. But the problem is Putin's not going to just sit back and let that happen. He's going to do something to try to deliver a victory yeah, for but, his people. But regime change, regime change. I mean, there are a couple of scenarios of regime change in Russia. One of them is you got a lot of old, tough, tough guys. And it's not going to be uh, better in Russia that don't think him. that don't take Putin's been tough enough. I agree. On the other hand, you got four or five thousand, six thousand who's counting nukes floating around. Yep. So if if they don't, if the if the tough guys don't take charge, the probability is we're going to have some sort of civil war. That's right. People grabbing pieces of this arsenal. And this is exactly that is that is far more dangerous. That is. Instead, we're speculating on personality. I'm surprised they haven't gotten out an astrological chart on Putin. Yeah. Saying, oh, but yeah. but I do think that as the situation gets bleaker over there, he's going to be more inclined to use nukes. And the people at Heritage and Hudson, who I think are brilliant, they might be wrong on this one because it's so bleak. And you look at the rhetoric coming out of Russia. I mean, they they're talking like the mullahs in Iran about going to nuclear war with the quote pedophiles and satanists of the West. And so, you know, this is not a good position to put the Americans in. We, what the, the American leadership should be doing is recognizing that Putin just might actually do it because he thinks he's going to get a bullet in the back of his head if he doesn't try to get a victory using any and all means necessary, even at the risk of escalating into direct war with NATO. Um, and I don't think Putin fears Biden the way that that he feared Trump as well. That's a whole nother thing. And so and, and you're right. If if Putin does get overthrown, I've been writing about this for over a year. The that's not necessarily a good thing because it could lead to someone worse than Putin or it could lead to that multi-sided Beirut style civil war with nukes, loose nukes, which is worse. It's worse than Putin. So this is a very frightening situation we find ourselves in. And nobody in Washington is minding the store. When do the Europeans, when do the Germans in particular want to weigh in on this to say, let's wrap this up? Because They can't. It's now, well, uh, let me I'll complete my thought here. We've got the Germans now who are suffering from no natural gas, buying it in the open market. We're seeing electricity prices in the UK. What are they, 10 times what they were yeah. before? Um, Germans are likely to face the same kind of numbers with that natural gas. The yeah. German petrochemical industry uh, shuts down. Uh, they're mm -hmm. they're going to suffer a world of economic hurt. And now we've got the the Nord Stream pipeline yep. sabotaged, and we can speculate who. But mm -hmm. it, it seems to me, if I'm in Europe and I'm watching this spectacle of Biden spouting off in cocktail parties. I want to say, look, guys, we, we live here. This is real. Right. Got to put this thing. Uh, we got to right. wrap this up. Yeah. So certainly the Germans want that. But Olaf Scholz and his administration, his government, um, they're very wedded to NATO and they're very wedded to the Americans. And that's they're not going to let that happen. 
And I think that if the election of Maloney in Italy is any indication, um, Maloney is a new far right individual. She's not part of the old right. Um, and the assumption in Moscow is that the far right of Europe and the far left, that the, if conditions in Europe can get bad enough, those types of parties can retake power from the more neoliberal establishment and that they will be more inclined to, to make peace separately with Russia and basically divorce themselves from, from NATO and America on Ukraine. But Maloney in Italy, the assumption was she was going to do that. And she has been very clear that while she's not pro-EU and she is part of the new right, She's very much pro-NATO and she's very much pro-Ukraine. And so while in Germany, it's a little bit of a different dynamic, the relative assumption or the, the general assumption rather that these new right parties are going to be automatically ushered into power and that they will automatically do deals with the Russians, I think is wrong because so much of Europe is economically and, and diplomatically dependent for so long on the United States. So I don't think the Germans, they're going to suffer. I think that Europe's going to suffer a very bleak winter of discontent. But I think at the end of that winter, it is probable that they will still not divorce themselves from the American position. And that means that's that's a good thing for us and, the, you know, that we don't we're not going to lose allies over this, probably. But it's also so, uh, it, it should behoove the American administration to not burn through all of its diplomatic capital with Europe over this issue. What the American administration should be saying is we recognize the hardship that Europe is going to be enduring. Let's make a deal now because Ukraine has won this thing. Let's let the Russians save face because it doesn't benefit us to lose Putin if the alternative is going to be something worse. And it's not going to be a democracy that takes over Russia. And so let's do let's do a deal where we, we give him the little bit of the East that's Russian speaking. We save the Europeans from the winter of discontent. We look like the heroes. We, we avoid a nuclear war. We avoid the nightmare scenario. But the Biden administration either won't or can't do that. And I just want to speculate here. I don't know where I saw this on social media, but I do think there's something to it. Hunter Biden spent a, a decade in Ukraine making $50,000 a week working as a consultant for Burisma, which is a Ukrainian natural gas company. Hunter Biden knows nothing about natural gas. I know more about natural gas than he does. And so the question well, is, I think what you know he... a lot more about natural <laughs> gas. <laughs> so so the, thank you. The question is, what was Come he on. doing? Obviously, he was influence peddling. So yeah. I don't I don't know where I read this online, but there there is a theory out there that perhaps the reason Biden is so hands off with holding Ukraine back. I mean, Zelensky's out basically saying, drop the nukes now, America, before Russia does. So that's where Zelensky is, you know, mentally. The question is, why is the lone superpowers leader, Biden, not saying, uh, yeah, we're not doing that for a regional conflict in Southern Europe. It's not happening. Instead, Biden's sitting on a beach sipping pina coladas talking about we're reaching nuclear war. It's I wonder if it's because the Ukrainian government has something on Biden has something on Hunter Biden. I mean, we know what Hunter Biden's proclivities well, we're, are. We're sure they yeah. have. We're sure they have. So, well, look, yeah. let me speak for me. I've, I would make a rather large bet that they have something on Biden and both oh, yeah. Bidens. And yeah. Now, this, though, gets into this whole discussion where American Wall Street Journal, et cetera, generals I know and love are saying, well, yeah. we got to be tough, hang stuff. Well, we do we've have to be tough, we've, we've we have a president been. like Joe Biden in charge. Right. You've got to be careful about... Yeah. Uh, Tough talk. Yeah. Well, the thing is that we have been tough. We've been very tough. We have depleted our 
reserves of yeah. essential weapons that will be needed to defend Taiwan to defend. And again, I want to make it clear. I am very much in support of defending Ukraine's sovereignty to a point. Um, we have done a lot. We have risked World War III to defend Ukraine. I think that we've reached the point now, and let's face it, whether the Ukrainians and Russians want to admit it, what's going on between Russia and Ukraine is a family squabble. They are all ethnic Slavs, mostly believe in the same religion. They have a shared history. Uh, the Kievan Rus was the, the genesis, the progenitor of the current Russian civilization Then the Mongols invaded. Uh, but the bottom line is this is a family squabble. Those are the domestic spats. Ask any cop. The domestic spats are the worst calls to get. So America's basically been put in the middle of a domestic squabble, a family fight. We've got to now be the, the arbiter here and say, you know, Ukraine, you've done a bang up job defending yourselves. We now need to ratchet this down because it's not good for anyone. Our friends, the Poles, who I'm a big supporter of, I understand they don't want to see that happen, but I'm the biggest, loudest supporter of Poland. And I think this is a window of opportunity for Poland for us now to redirect resources into building up the Visegrad states, the four Visegrad states led by Poland, giving them the tools, giving them the, the what they need to not only build up their economy. Give me a refresher course. What are the Visegrad states? The Visegrad states are Poland. Hungary, Lithuania, okay. and Romania, I yeah. believe. And you can also throw Ukraine in there. And we should also be building up the Nordic states uh, to not invade Russia, but to create basically a wall of prosperity and steel that deters Russia in the long run. So we make a deal with them over Ukraine now. We divert a lot of resources into that, that Visegrad Nordic axis, make sure that they become economically dynamic give them the weapons they need to deter any future Russian aggression. And there won't be any Russian aggression in the future. The reason Putin did this is because he thought Ukraine was an easy target. He thought he could go in and walk all over Ukraine and he thought Biden would let him. He was wrong. But now it's time for Biden to step up and say, now we need to we need to start ratcheting down a little bit. Okay, we need to wrap up for today. I've got okay. about 10 more hours of conversation though I want to have with you on this. <laughs> let's Let's plan on talking in three, four weeks to do okay. a follow-up. But where do you think we're, we're now in the beginning of the second week in October? Let's, let's give ourselves a deadline. Let's get together next in the next three, four weeks again. Where do you think okay. we'll be? Where do you think we'll be then? I, I, well, then it's, we're just starting Putin's last conventional strategy, which is he's going to try to surge forces into Ukraine. Those additional forces he called up. He's going to have trouble doing that because a lot of the people don't want to fight. And then they just blew up this bridge. The Ukrainians did linking the, the, the two sides together. So he's going to have difficulty doing that, but he's going to try to surge forces there. He's going to also then ratchet up his nuclear threats, but his main primary uh, objective for the next probably few months is going to be to starve Europe of energy, to freeze them out so that when we're coming out of the holidays, going into the new year, coming into the spring, early spring, he will then, he thinks, have the Europeans on on their knees so much that they'll start to wither. They'll start well, to seek and go. That, that, that's, that's my guess. That, that's, if that's they can't, if doing. it doesn't work, though, I, then he's got no choice. Then it's time to escalate. Well, I've got to drop a, a quick footnote to this show before yeah. we get to the next one. Who uh, who sabotaged Nord Stream? I believe it was the Russians. And I can tell you why if you want. 
I, I'm, I'm happy to tell you. So remember, yeah. Vladimir Putin. Okay, Vladimir Putin is the guy who, on the eve of his election to initiate a war with separatist Chechnya, he had his intelligence operatives stage a terrorist attack on an apartment building full of Russians and blew it up in the dead of night and blamed it on the Chechnyans that initiated the war in the 90s. That was almost disastrous, by the way, for Putin. The Russians were not ready to fight that war as, if not, as much as he thought. So we, there's a pattern here. The second point is, yeah, he could have just turned the taps off. He could have done that. But by blowing it up this way, I think it was a pr provocatia. It was Russian provocation. By blowing it up this way, it sows doubt in the minds of at least part of the Western population because many people are sitting around going, why would he have blown up his own pipeline? And then we start to think it must have been our CIA. It must have been our side that did it. To And, and there are all these rumors out there. I am not convinced, just judging uh, what I know about Putin. Um, furthermore, uh, furthermore, I really suspect that um, Putin is trying to send a signal to the West that I can do this to the pipeline. I can also cut your undersea cables connecting Europe uh, to North America, which will basically isolate Europe and Ukraine away from the telecommunications networks of the world. That's my working theory. I could be wrong, though. I, I've heard very compelling theories that yeah, it was our side. Could, I, I don't know for sure. Or could be, could be just climbing. It could have been an accident. It could have been, an, you know, uh, Stephen <laughs> well, Bryan says that he thinks it was basically a workplace accident. The Russians, well, you know, this is, you know, who knows? What I'm seeing is that the, the holes don't look accidental, but I, I haven't been down there to take a look myself. So, Brandon, this is this is extremely interesting, extremely timely. And also in three, four weeks, we'll learn more about your uh, your recovery operation in Florida. <laughs> and uh, I'm wishing you well. And uh, if anything we can Thank do, you. let me know. We'll do. Uh, Thank you. Anyway, this has been the Bill Walton Show, again, with my friend Brandon Weicker talking about uh, Hurricane Ian and, and Hurricane Putin and <laughs> Hurricane Hurricane Biden and trying to figure out whether we're going to survive this uh, this madness. I think we will, but it's going to be a close thing. Painful. It'll be painful. It'll be painful. So anyway, thanks for joining. And <laughs> yeah. uh, as always, you can find us on all the uh, big uh, major podcast, webcast platforms, Rumble, YouTube, et cetera. And we're also, this show will also be uh, on CPAC now uh, next week. I think it's October 11th. So uh, thanks for joining and uh, we'll, we'll uh, talk with you soon. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining. <laughs>